0: The reading is from the book of Acts, beginning at chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the Centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests.
1: Thanks ever so much, Roger. Uh, If that wasn't epic enough, we're actually going to look at the whole of Chapter 11 uh, during our talk tonight. So it might help you if you haven't got a smartphone in front of you with the Bible on it. Uh, Just take 30 seconds to nip to the back. And there are loads of Bibles there. If you're somebody that likes to sort of follow the passage, we're going to pretty much follow the passage through tonight. Uh, There are some on the balcony as well, uh, a load of Bibles. So don't worry about getting up, walking around. Grab yourself a Bible. And so just while uh, people are doing that, uh, we're going to be journeying uh, through this incredible story tonight of Cornelius and Peter from Acts chapter 10. Uh, so that's where you're going to find it, Acts chapter 10. If when you get your Bible, uh, do turn to that. And we're going to discover how uh, this pretty weird event became a life-changing experience. Not just for those people involved that we just heard about in the story, but actually uh, for the whole church then and since. This is a massive, massive event in the history uh, of the world. As I was preparing uh, this sermon tonight, partly because I had about 46 verses of Bible to preach from, it felt like I actually had two sermons to write. And I wrote this immense sermon, chopped loads of stuff out, but then was left with what it felt like, two sermons, and it felt like it was still right save both bits of it but if you uh end up losing the plot halfway through and just zone out, don't worry okay i'm not going to be offended you can listen to the recording if you really want to uh, but i'm hoping that god will speak to you in some way through this incredible passage we're going to look at tonight As we get started, uh, I want to tell you a little story. Some of you might have heard it before. It's one of those ones that goes around in legend. And uh, and I want you to keep it in mind as we go through this passage. It's a story uh, from Malaysia uh, about uh, a farmer. And this farmer was pretty annoyed because he always had monkeys uh, invading his farm and destroying his crops. And, And actually, it was really bad because it was jeopardizing his whole family's livelihood. Anyway, he came up with an ingenious solution, and it was this, to put some peanuts in hollowed-out coconuts. He then hid in his farm and waited, and lo and behold, the monkeys scaled the walls of his farm, they smelled the peanuts, and when they found that they were in the coconuts, they grabbed the, the peanuts inside the coconut and clenched their fists around the peanuts but the farmer had only made the hole small enough for the monkey to get its hand into, but when it clenched its fist, it couldn't then pull its hand out of the coconut, as you can see on the screen there. Neither could the monkey scale the walls because it was holding onto these peanuts and had two huge coconuts attached to uh, its hands as well. And so it was completely stuck because it was absolutely determined that it wasn't going to let go of these peanuts. And there wasn't just one monkey, there were a number of monkeys uh, doing this as well. And so unfortunately uh, for the monkeys, the farmer then reappeared from where he was hiding. Gone out his shotgun and shot the monkeys. Sorry if you're into animal rights. Uh, one by one. <laughs> the monkeys' freedom was attainable. All they had to do was let go, but they chose to hold on. And so to our text tonight, if you want to look at it, we're going to start right at the beginning, verse 1, where we meet Cornelius. We hear that Cornelius is a centurion in the italian regiment stationed at caesarea who we discover uh, is from a devout and god-fearing family but we also know that cornelius is a gentile a non-jew and there is a massive impassable gulf between jews and gentiles even god-fearing jews like cornelius because judaism was only for Jews due to their laws, circumcision, and all the religious traditions they had. Cornelius, therefore, was probably someone who believed in the one true God. He prayed, he may have tithed, he may have even gone to the synagogue as well. But as a Gentile, he would still have been an outsider. But in verse three, we're told that at three o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius, this Gentile believer, has a vision where an angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him to send some of his man to Joppa, to Simon the Tanner's house, to bring back a man called Peter. As we read this account, our immediate thought is that this is gonna be all about Cornelius meeting Jesus, his transformation, his conversion. But what becomes apparent in a moment is that it's not just Cornelius that needs converting, but it's Peter too. This story is actually partly about the conversion and the freeing of Peter from the deep-seated and entrenched prejudice against Gentiles that is part of who he is as a Jew. And so whilst Cornelius's men and bodyguards are travelling along to Joppa to go and pick up Peter and bring him back, Luke, who's written the book of Acts, uses his best storytelling methodology uh, to tell us what is happening at the same time in Joppa with Peter. So, in verse 10, we hear that Peter in Joppa is hungry, but while his food is being prepared, he goes upon to the roof to pray. Like many of the events we come across in Acts, things start to happen when people pray. And Peter has taken himself off to pray when God speaks to him. Often when I'm feeling distant from God or I'm bemoaning the way that God isn't speaking to me at the moment, if I'm honest, it's because I'm not giving him the space and the time in my life. We cannot hear, can we, if we're not listening? I know many, many times I've asked God to give me guidance on something or to show me what to do. And then I've walked away, not really bothering to listen or to spend time reading the Bible or just praying and waiting for God to speak to me. Acts is jam-packed with incredible supernatural events and crowds of people become Christians left, right and centre. When people pray, God acts. And then the people, filled with the Holy Spirit, respond in boldness and courage in speaking of Jesus. In Acts, prayer is like the match that lights the touch paper that starts the flame. Do we allow God the space to speak to us today, to light that touch paper in our lives? Prayer gave God the space to speak to Peter. And prayer was the gateway for God's power to to fill Peter, ready for transformation and the task that was ahead of him. And so we get to verse 11 in Acts chapter 10, and we read about this rather obscure vision that Peter has. It's of a sheet being lowered uh, from heaven, uh, and it's full of animals. And some of the animals that are filling the sheet are forbidden or non kosher animals. And then a voice from heaven commands, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter's reaction to this instruction is, God, you know, surely not. Peter has never eaten anything unpure. To a Jew like Peter, this is an absolutely shocking suggestion. It would be completely against his religious and social conditioning to do something like that. Now, for us today, it's really hard to grasp what a shocking suggestion uh, that this is for Peter. He would have lived his whole life uh, by the food laws, some of which you can see on the screen there. They're laid out in the Torah, part of the Old Testament, uh, particularly in Leviticus 11. It's a great read, if you fancy reading that tonight. Uh, there are some, the rules are things like this, you find in Leviticus 11. There are some that only chew the cud, talking about animals, not people, or only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. Verse 8 in Leviticus 11 tells us, You must not eat their meat even or touch their carcasses, they are unclean for you. Or in verse 12, anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded as unclean for you, no king prawns. The list just goes on and on and on of things that are forbidden and Peter would have known this. For a Jew to touch or eat any of these unclean animals would have made him ritually unclean, unrighteous. And he'd have had to have gone through a whole series of rituals of cleanliness uh, that he'll also have read about in Leviticus uh, to put himself right with the community and right with God as well. But it appears in this vision that that Peter has that God is asking Peter to let go, to lay down all this stuff that he has known and to do and to be something completely different. Rich last week when he was talking about Saul was explaining that for Saul, this devout Jew, to accept Christianity would be like Donald Trump advocating Hillary Clinton to be president or a Celtic supporter changing his allegiance to uh, Rangers or Nicola Sturgeon becoming a, a unionist. We're talking about that same sort of radical change now uh, for Peter. But in response to Peter's shock and protest, the voice from heaven tells him this in verse 15. Do not call impure anything that God has made clean. God has made what was impure, pure. And this is a mark of what we call the new covenant, That was made through jesus death and resurrection a new covenant marked by grace not by following the law by freedom not by rules or fear a covenant that extends beyond god's chosen people the jews to include the gentiles that's everybody too and this whole vision happens three more times as Peter is just really wrestling here with what God seems to be asking him to do. I'm sure this is a a familiar experience for many of us here as we've tried in our own lives to discern what God is asking us to do with our lives. We wrestle, we go back to God time and again about something. At the same time as all this is happening with Peter, Cornelius' servants uh, arrive and ask uh, for Peter. And the Lord tells Peter to get up and go with the men. And after welcoming them into the house for the night, he goes with them to Cornelius. He just goes with them to Cornelius. Now, that's a small detail. You know, he gets up, meets these guys at his house, goes to somebody else's house. But actually, that detail holds immense significance. Peter doesn't hesitate, it says in the Bible. He's been asked, to go to a Gentile home, a strange and potentially hostile environment. This is not what you did when you were a Jew. He doesn't say, oh, you know, I'll go tomorrow, you know, when I've really worked out what God is trying to say to me and worked out God's time scale on it all. Maybe he sat there trying to uh, remember what Jesus would have done in this situation and maybe he was thinking about how Jesus had reached out uh, and touched that unclean bleeding woman or the tax collector or the prostitute and he's thinking you know maybe if Jesus was here he would have gone with with uh, these guys to Cornelius's house so why shouldn't I and so he simply lays down his cultural and religious baggage and is obedient what a challenge to us About this time last year, it felt like John and I had just gone through one of the most difficult and traumatic discernment processes of our lives. And that was the decision to come here to Edinburgh and to P's and G's. I guess that unusually, I hadn't got to the point in my last job where I decided it was time to leave and was sort of looking for what was out there, Uh, which is what usually happens when you apply for a job. That I'm not normal. Uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, I was interviewed for the uh, job of associate rector here last summer and was offered the job. When most people are offered jobs, uh, they're delighted, but not me. I was traumatized, properly traumatized, because I had sort of decided that what God wanted me to do was um, go through the interview process, but I wasn't going to get the job, and that would be fine. But now, I found myself in a position uh, that I hadn't banked on, and we really had to seek God and discern if this was what God wanted us to do. Peter was being asked by Jesus to basically let go of the religious principles and customs that he had lived his entire life by. I was being asked to leave my job that I loved, leave behind my close friends, Friends that I had moved my family from their school and community, uh, just 400 miles up the country to Edinburgh. But there was absolutely no way that I was gonna lay everything down that easily. And to be honest, it just all felt really hard and really heartbreaking during that time. My reaction was more like Peter's initial reaction uh, to God's command to kill and eat. You must be absolutely kidding God, I am not doing that. And so like Gideon, uh, John and I put out a number of fleeces, direct challenges to God to show us if this was really what he wanted us to do. We basically said, if this is what you want us to do, you have got to make it so clear it is untrue. I basically spoke like that to God. Um, Funnily enough, he did. And there were a number of quite uh, mental things, uh, answers that happened to that challenge to God. But one of them I'll just uh, mention here. It was actually a Facebook message I received. You know, God is so well up there with social media. Anyway, um, the message was from a girl from the church that I had been a curate at 11 years before. And I had not seen or heard from this girl for 10 years. And she definitely had no idea, um, as many people didn't have uh, much idea, about the whole peas and cheese thing. So I was rather shocked when I received a a message from her, a really... uh, crucial time in this decision-making process and she was just explaining to me this weird dream that she'd had that she really felt that she should share with me on that day and um, and she explained that in this dream uh, me and her were running a camp for kids on a cruise ship slightly weird and she said I quote I found the message and wrote it down you apparently Libby now lived in Scotland then at the end of the message she said Wow, that's a really weird dream, most of which I can piece together from things, except the you moving to Scotland bit. She had absolutely no idea at that moment that we were trying to work out uh, if God was calling us to Scotland, to Edinburgh, to P's and G's. Sometimes God speaks to us in, in incredibly direct ways. But as Peter experienced, sometimes he also asks us, as part of the process of following him and being obedient to lay things down that are really important to us. Like those peanuts in that monkey's hands. And that was what me and my family had to come to terms with too. I think that some, for some people here tonight, God is wanting you to lay something down. Something that's holding you back from going where God wants to take you next. I'm not sure what that is, but I wonder as when I'm speaking, there is something that is just going around your mind, sort of banging on your heart, maybe making your heart beat faster. It may be something that you've just held dear and you need to hand it over to God. It may be a way of doing things, or a belief or a worldview that's actually binding you from fully entering into the freedom that Jesus bought for you on the cross. It may be, uh, like me, a job or something to do with who you are that you've built your identity on. I wonder whether, for some of us here tonight, we just need to come and let go of something, lay something down, like Peter had to, so that we can really enter into the freedom that Jesus has for us. It might be painful. Jesus never said that following him would be straightforward. But God is able to release us into the truth and the freedom that he has brought for us on the cross. I'll just leave, leave that with you to think about. I expect that as Peter continued that journey to Joppa, to Cornelius' house, He was probably wrestling with God quite a way, a lot on that way. God had been giving him this crazy animal and sheep vision thing. And so by the time he gets to Cornelius' house, though, we find that he's more at peace with his situation. He's gone on the journey, and now he's more at peace in his situation. And so he goes into Cornelius' house, and he goes into this room where there's a whole crowd of people gathered, and he shares of this transformation the conversion that's just taken place in him. He says this, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So polite. In reply, Cornelius explains the vision that he's had that God has given him and how he was told to call for Peter and then says now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. The people are just like waiting and they're ready and they're hungry they want to hear. God has prepared the soil and is ready for the seed to fall and then Peter begins to preach. He begins by explaining his own personal journey of having to lay down those really important things in his own life. How he's learned that God doesn't show favoritism, that God's attitude to people is not influenced or determined by external criteria like race or color or class or nationality. God is not a God of exclusion, but a God of acceptance. God accepts everyone. In Galatians 3.28, Paul puts it like this, there is no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. This moment in Cornelius' house is a massive moment in the whole history of the spread of the gospel and the church, because here is Peter, the rock on whom Jesus said he would build his church, proclaiming that the gospel of jesus is not just for the jews that follow jesus but it's for everyone and he knows this because god has told him directly in that weird sheet and animal vision thing and this is massive it is from this moment that the spread of the gospel into the gentile world really begins to take hold if peter And Saul, as well, who became Paul, whom we heard about last week, had not put their trust in Jesus and had the courage to listen and obey him, to lay down their religious traditions or baggage or whatever else was holding them. Would you or I know about Jesus today? Yes, God is bigger than uh, Peter or Paul uh, and their obedience to him but it makes you wonder doesn't it how far and how rapidly the gospel would have spread and we're living in a society today which is post-Christian people are skeptical and they're cynical and have bought into an ideology of this age and yet if we talk to our friends our families the people we know who don't yet know Jesus there is often a deep longing within them for something more And so if we want to know how and why the gospel of Jesus spread so rapidly and brought such a permanent transformation to the world of Acts, and we want to see that happening today in the pagan culture that we live in too, we just need to look in the pages of this book, Acts. And we find the secret to what happened in that room with Cornelius, and then what was replicated Thousands of times in so many individuals' lives all over the world. And this is the secret. Peter stood in front of those spiritually hungry people in Cornelius' house. And he simply starts to talk to them about Jesus. Peter and all the early Christians through Acts simply spoke to people about the living, loving person of Jesus. Jesus of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. They didn't need to dress Jesus up as anything other than who he is. He did, they did this. They spoke of, of Jesus who had lived. He wasn't just some supernatural spiritual being. To Gentiles surrounded by the gods of the Greco-Roman Hellenistic pagan culture, the reality of Jesus, a man who is God, had a clarity and a realism that grabbed them peter tells cornelius that god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy spirit and power jesus is a man with a history a town a geographical location and yet turns out he's got a truth that is radically different in uh, in the world that the uh, the early christians were living in and is radically different compared to the world religions uh, that we're surrounded with today as well. They also spoke of Jesus crucified. It was not the cross, an inanimate tool uh, of death, which saved. But they spoke of Jesus who saved. Jesus went through the cross to save sinners. That is all of humanity. Salvation through Jesus is available to all, not just the elect or the chosen few. And then they spoke of how Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive today. Jesus broke the power of death and the early Christians in Acts are saying, look, you know we know this, we know that he rose from the dead because we were the people that saw him alive. Peter says this in verse 40 and 41 of Acts 10. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen by the people who who ate and drank with him after he'd risen from the dead. And we're not talking here of a figure who has died but lives on in people's memories or in their ideology or culture. Somebody like uh, Che Guevara or Nelson Mandela. But somebody who is alive today and wants us to join with him on his mission. My six-year-old uh, son, Finian, some of you might know him, he's pretty mental. Uh, he has the most vivid and creative imagination. And he's a little bit obsessed with Star Wars at the moment. On Monday night, he was, um, I was talking to him on the phone because my husband, John, and the children were staying at uh, grandparents. And I just want to share with you uh, the rather, um, you know, intellectual conversation that Finian and I shared. It went something like this. Hi, Finian. How was your day? Finian, Obi, your time has come. <laughs> oh, have you been watch, watching Star Wars? I asked. Finian, in my book, Mummy, experience outweighs everything. Me, right. So uh, what have you been doing today with Finian? Finian? in my book, Mummy, experience outweighs everything. Me, giving up rather at this stage, says, Right then, I'll say the no night then. Finian, night, Mummy. May the force be with you. Get back here, sergeant. That's lightsaber sounds going off in the distance. It was rather random, to say the least. But I was struck by the rather bizarre line that he quoted, I believe, from Star Wars 3, which is this. In my book, experience outweighs everything. Peter and the early Christians were not preaching a Jesus that they'd read about in books, seen depicted in art but the risen Jesus who they had met and experienced for themselves and this was their motivation to want to go and share the truth that Jesus did rise and had conquered death because they had experienced him and that outweighed everything today this is an attractive and radical message this week I was talking uh, to somebody from the Bible Society who is telling me of the tens of thousands of people who are secretly becoming Christians in Iraq and Iran, Afghanistan and Syria. These people are not being convinced uh, with uh, structurally sound arguments about grace or forgiveness or salvation, but are simply experiencing and meeting Jesus for themselves, sometimes through visions. Or, or encounters with him themselves. People are literally turning around and seeing Jesus stood next to them and realising it's Jesus. Others are meeting Jesus through the pages of the New Testament, through the hundreds and thousands of Bibles that have been distributed throughout that region. People all over the world are daily encountering, meeting the living Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, and are laying down what they know things that they hold dear they're laying them down for the freedom available to them in christ and the last thing that the uh, people in acts spoke about was that the holy spirit does the transforming listen to this from acts 10:44 to 46 while peter was still speaking these words about jesus the holy spirit came on all who heard the message The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Peter preached the gospel of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. The early Christians, they didn't have much, but they had freedom in Christ. They had the good news of Jesus. They had experienced him for themselves and they had spiritual power. And as a church today, we have those things too. We have the good news of Jesus and we have spiritual power. And we can pray today that a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, which breathed life into those first Christians and made the good news of Jesus come alive in a radical and life and culture changing way is is possible today for us and for the people out there. I'm just going to hand over to Rich now as we think about this a little bit more.